0: Welcome to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, data privacy, cybersecurity, and tech innovations. I'm Gabby Schulte. And I'm Laura Milstein. Each week, we're talking to heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. So
1: today, Laura, who are we talking to? Today, we're talking to John Ghent. John is the co-founder and CEO of Privacy Engine, which leverages cutting edge technologies to deliver end to end data protection solutions. Recently named Enterprise Ireland's high potential startup founder of the year. John has an entrepreneurial background that spans several decades and is a thought leader in machine learning and data protection. John, welcome to the show.
2: We're delighted to be here, and nice to meet you, Gabby, too.
0: Absolutely, nice to meet you as well. Um, before we get started in all things data protection and privacy engine, will you just let us know kind of your story about getting into the industry? How did you how did you get into that? I know you also you have a, an entrepreneurial background, so how did that all work?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, well, I actually, as as you mentioned there in the the very kind intro, I I started off in academia. I did a PhD in computer science and and, uh, machine learning and somewhat ironic looking back on it, but it was in the area of facial expression recognition, oddly enough, which is now such a torn in the side of data protection and privacy. Um, but I started off in that, and then I went out into industry after that and uh, started a privacy engine. Not, well, it, it feels not that long ago, but it was 2013 when we started. So years to really tick by. But um, yeah, we started in 2013. At that point, like data protection and privacy was, uh, it was nowhere near, in fact, really what it, kind of is now uh, in terms of what people think about it i remember i was in um the, the web summit is a big conference in ireland you can probably tell by my accent i'm irish so the web summit is a big conference in ireland and and you know i would have went to that back in the early days when it was in ireland i remember very clearly one year on the main stage where there were tech leaders from around the world on this panel discussion and it was in a full auditorium and everybody, we just set up Privacy Engine and the topic, if I remember the title of the actual panel conversation, I think it was Privacy is Dead. I think that was the actual title of it. And I remember thinking as an entrepreneur, oh God, I, either we've made a big mistake uh, or or we have a big opportunity here. And then, you know, roll on five or so years after that, and it becomes pretty apparent that um, privacy is paramount. So we've kind of gone from a world from Privacy is Dead, Privacy is Paramount, which, you know, it kind of has sort of followed the, the, the journey of Privacy Engine through all of those particular life cycles. We got into it because... Um, after my sort of academic career, I started setting up a few other companies. And one of my co-founders, uh, Mike Morrissey, we set up uh, a couple of companies together as well. There was two, we had two separate companies, believe it. One was in Ireland uh, in the insurance sector, and the other one was in the UK and it was in the educational sector. And this was actually around 2011, I think, type of time frame where we were working on both these two uh, fairly big projects were national projects. The companies we set up were sort of the software development type companies and data protection and privacy for completely different reasons were on the top of the risk register of both of these projects. And we went and tried to assemble a team to try and deal with all of these considerations. And at this point, even back then, You could actually tell the GDPR was coming down the track, the general data protection regulation. And we went to law firms and they could tell us what the law was, but they couldn't tell us anything else. We went to the likes of InfoSec and cyber security firms, and they were very good, obviously, on the security side, but they really couldn't tell us how to implement anything relating to, to data protection so we we assembled a team brought in another guy who ended up being the third co-founder of privacy engine hugh jones and very very quickly we realized we, we were onto something so we were from about um from about that stage we, we kind of realized that you know this market was going to get huge we felt we had a good grasp on what the challenges were and we wanted to build out uh, a platform for for privacy teams, data protection officers, chief privacy officers that could use our platform to actually help deal with all of these massive privacy challenges that uh, that keep coming down the tracks and and that's kind of that's kind of how we got into it and it, the market has developed quite a lot obviously since then but that that's the origin story anyway
1: yeah so uh, on this show. We, we do talk a lot about data protection, data privacy, data breach, uh, GDPR. Uh, that's sort of, uh, one of our, one of our favorite topics actually is around GDPR because it's not really in the U.S., but then it kind of is when you look at California and it's going to come more and more. Uh, and what interest really us for this episode and why we really wanted to bring you on is because we found what you're doing with uh, Privacy Engine so kind of unique in the industry. So there's a lot of tools that are kind of built around data breach or built around GDPR, but yours is almost before any of that happens. And so can you kind of tell us about, you know, why is that important? When I look at your tool, I almost look at it as a, you know, kind of a human resource necessity and i don't know if a lot of companies do that and and i think it's going to be something where more and more that that becomes relevant and needed and 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 so can you can you just dive into that more of you know pre-gdpr i guess or what that looks like no
2: it's a look it's very good observation and and the differences between let's say the european market and the us market from a privacy perspective is actually very very interesting as well like prior to the gdpr like we're all familiar with um you know the fact that personal data is absolutely everywhere because the use of ai machine learning and all that goes with that but but really what happened in 2018 was was really quite a unique situation we had to take a principled approach to dealing with all of these privacy challenges. And it's the only way you could really build something that was useful out in the marketplace. If you tried to tailor too much for any one piece of legislation, even you'd really end up getting caught, I think. And a lot of platforms have tried to do that, but you know, because of this massive explosion of, of personal data out there. 2018, there was more privacy legislation enacted in 2018, would you believe, than in the previous century combined, which is a fantastic stat. Uh, and it's hard to believe. It's not just GDPR, but it's you know there was other legislation that was really uh, coming quickly on the heels of that as well from a global perspective. And then that had the knock-on consequence of actually spinning up all of these privacy teams and companies all over the world. And they were struggling with what to actually do with, uh, uh, with, with trying to comply with all of these regulations um, and you know there was there's a lot a lot of people trying to get in on that particular market a lot of lawyers a lot of uh consultants firms a lot of uh in, in for information security and cyber companies but what we built was was really quite different to all of that it was it enables the privacy team to actually establish a way forward that was it was uh it was process orientated they could establish methodologies and frameworks for actually dealing with all of these complexities it has to work with the entire organization that's something that's slightly different from other platforms that are out there it's hard to have an effective privacy uh, program without actually dealing with the entire organization so we would have many different types of users and roles on the platform as well you have the data protection officer chief privacy officer but you also have this concept of data protection champion somebody in hr as you mentioned yourself Laura, someone in it someone in marketing that actually has a hand to play in the program and then of course you of everyone else in the company and what do they need to know how do they engage with the with the actual privacy program as well everyone has a part to play um and uh, the platform really developed out uh, really in, in that sort of mode over a period of seven or eight years really
0: yeah and that kind of makes me wonder just to expand on that a little bit like you know um as laura mentioned in the us we're so sort of starting to get on the train of of putting some of these protections in legislation. Um, How do you how does Privacy Engine uh, evolve with changing legislation? You sort of uh, mentioned it a little bit, but can you just dive in a little bit deeper to, you know, how does managing all of this data and data protection sort of evolve with changing legislation and also, um, you know, how so also we know a Privacy Engine is uh, located in the U.S. market. So, how does that kind of how do you deal with that relationship? Basically,
2: yeah, it, it's uh, it, it it can be tricky because of the amount of legislation that's actually out there. You we, you do have to take a principled approach to that. But and you know we build tools to help uh, deal with this abundance of information and legislation that we're in now. So w- one of the things, for example, that we do is. Uh, as well as getting the sort of organizational structure right that you need to have in place if you're dealing with multiple different legislations, you need to be able to get the information you need when you need it as well. One of the tools that we have in Privacy Engine, we call it Privacy Pulse, for example, and Considering my background, it probably won't surprise you. There's a lot of machine learning, natural language processing behind all of that. And what we do is we um, effectively monitor all of the regulatory agencies around the world. There's a lot of them in Europe, obviously, a lot of from from the GDPR. But there's obviously a lot in the US as well. We pull in all of that all of that data on a near to real time basis, and then we relate it back to the individual's privacy program. So not every individual needs to know. Not every data protection officer, chief privacy officer needs know everything about every piece of legislation that's that's changing like even if i look on privacy pulse today and i and i put in a very simple search parameter and i say show me all of the guidelines that came back from all of the privacy regulators in the last seven days it's an abundance of information so we have to be able to, uh, almost in real time, parse that information and relate it back to individuals' specific privacy programs, their specific needs, so that they've got some fighting chance, really, of keeping on top of everything. Because without a tool like that, it really becomes mission impossible for for the poor data protection officer.
1: <laughs> so um, I agree with all these things, and I think what you guys are doing, as, as mentioned earlier, is needed and going to kind of become more and more relevant. Um, with that being said, what next? And not to say what next just in general, but what next with, with you guys? What, what do you think is the next line? Because I think if you look back a couple of years ago, we didn't even have a lot of these guidelines in place. And now there's more and more coming and more expanding outside of the EU and, and other places. And you look at Australia as an example. I mean, they're, Data prior. I mean, it's just craziness. Um, and we talk about that a lot because I, I personally am just confused by Australia in general with, with their policies or lack thereof. Um, but but where do you guys think you're going to take this? What do you think is sort of the next step of, of, yeah, of protection? I mean,
2: that's a, that's a really good question. It's interesting when you look, like if I look, if the conversations I'm having with a lot of US-based customers, which we have quite a few, Um, They're almost, they're they're catching up with with my European colleagues, if you like, in terms of how they view personal data. And we're moving, if the way that I see this space almost developing, first of all, there was, well, is data protection a thing? I mean, that's where we started from back in 2013, where we thought privacy was dead. We're moving into a world now where we're in this business as usual world, and many people kind of see it as a way, as, as an intersection between law and cybersecurity. And so what you're seeing in in practice is a lot of privacy teams are starting to deploy traditional uh, cyber tools, but within the context of a coherent privacy program. And that's kind of where we are now, certainly from a European perspective, and the US is very quickly catching up and will will more than likely pass out uh, the the EU uh, in in this regard. And if you look at the market in terms of the intersection of, of law and infosec, That's kind of where we are now in a business as usual model. Where we're going next, because of AI, because of IoT, it's going to be the intersection of human rights and technology. That's the kind of next area for this whole thing to sort of bubble into. And you can already see that with uh, the EU have a proposal for uh, a... a, um, An act on artificial intelligence. Would you believe Uh, regulation on it? So that's that's being proposed at the moment. So we got to look at how we're going to develop tools, capabilities to empower the privacy sit team to deal with very, very complex processes and still protect the human rights of the individuals. That's going to be a massive area, and there's a lot to say in that. I mean, there's. There's, there's a lot of existing tools out there that actually try and f- develop techniques like that and you, without getting too much into the, the nuts and bolts of the technicalities of it, they all try and do certain things. Some of them try to protect data from anonymization the sort of an old way of looking at it. Some try to... Um, be able to process information in an encrypted way. So there's a technique called homomorphic encryption.
1: Wait, Um, wait, I want to pause you right there. Gabby, you know that, right? You knew that. (laughs) Obviously, I know what that word is.
2: So Uh, it's actually, it sounds very complex. It's not. It's... um, (laughs) Homomorphic encryption is basically a really clever way to to allow third parties to process information without disclosing information about what they're processing. So, uh, to give of course. you a trivial example, <laughs> uh, imagine for example I can't add right. So and I and I wanted to add the number two and three together. Uh, and let's say, Gabby, you 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 you're a wizard, Matts, and you can add those two numbers together. What homomorphic encryption would do is it would encrypt the number two, encrypt the number three send it over to you, you would get, let's say, the number four and the number five. You don't know my original numbers, but you'd still be able to perform the operation on them. So you'd add four and five together, you'd get back nine, you'd send it back to me, I would decrypt it, and I'd get the answer to my original question. So it's a way for someone to process the information without actually knowing what the underlining information is. Very clever, Um, very computationally intensive. But there's loads of techniques like this that are starting to come out. Differential privacy is another one, uh, which gets a lot of attention. Um, But each one of these sort of tool sets only ever really answers a very small part of the challenge. So even, like, if you look at what happened, the whole Cambridge Analytica situation with Facebook, as an example, doesn't matter if that was encrypted or not. They made the decisions to do this with the data. So that's got nothing to do with that particular problem. It's got other problems. And, you know, so we need to have, uh, um, it's known as data protection impact assessments when, any anytime we roll out any of these projects, and then you can start identifying the tool set that you need to actually build out in order to run uh, more and more complicated, processes in, in a way that ultimately protects fundamental human rights. So that's the yeah. challenge we're moving into. Mm.
0: No, that's so interesting. And that actually leads me to my next question, which is normally a Laura question that she likes to ask in, in during these subjects, but I'm going to steal it from you, Laura. Dun,
1: dun, dun. <laughs> is what's
0: something about what can you share like a story with us that um like either kind of scares you a little bit about data protection or data privacy or scare us scare us (laughs) okay so i'll give you the trick either Um, either scare us or say like oh this is very hopeful in this situation but we prefer it if you scared us scare (laughs) us
2: well i think most of the scary stories are probably related to the world of ai aren't they in relation to how they process how, how ai would process personal data I think that's really where you get the the really, um, uh, the, the, I mean, and there's so many examples of that that are publicly known, which you're, you're probably well aware of. But I think as we start to move more and more into a world where functional AI just becomes completely mainstream, that could be a massive challenge uh, and a massive risk for um for 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 everybody and i suppose rather than give you a real world example because you know we would have quite a lot of you know we, we would have hundreds of clients around the world and uh, obviously we wouldn't disclose any of the real world situations but i could give you a few that are uh that are that are bubbling up under the surface that i think would would um should be considered in the context of, of managing data protection so perhaps one which might scare you is imagine, for example, uh, that uh, your insurance company, this isn't real, by the way, because we do have some insurance companies as customers, so i got to say this. <laughs> um, got it. Imagine your insurance company uh, will allow you to uh, lower your premium on your insurance policy uh, if they can install a simple tracker in your car that monitors everything about how you drive the car. Now, imagine that same insurance company has um for example health insurance which you which you may have with them or not right now that car company will have loads of information that insurance company will have loads of information in terms of how they would process all of that information now under under the gdpr for example you should only capture the information for very specific purposes you shouldn't capture more than you need to obtain your specific purpose and you shouldn't use it for anything else but however particularly in the states Those laws aren't there. So there's nothing stopping in this hypothetical situation, your insurance company from taking the data, monitoring how you're holding your steering wheel and using that to detect, I don't know, early onset Alzheimer's, for example. Uh, They could do the same thing with the movements of your mouse if they were tracking that, for example, you know? And then the question becomes, do they have an obligation to tell you or do your premiums on your health insurance just go up without you knowing about it? And all of these knock-on consequences that you get with big data, that you get with massive insight with processing all of these pieces of information, we need to be very careful. And we need to legislate so that you, you have to use data for very specific purposes. The GDPR only goes so far. I think really the real risks when we're looking at artificial intelligence, particularly in machine learning and big data and everything that we now know we can do with all of this, and that's the piece that ultimately we really do need regulation for all of that. Even, you know, my my first area when I was in academia of facial expression recognition, um, that's a minefield, you know, uh, in terms of what you can do, what you can't do with that. How do you give consent, for example, even a very simple level with facial recognition if it's out in the street? So um, there's lots to be scared of, uh, but uh, you know we really do ultimately need regulation. I know that's not a big thing in, in America. People tend to run a mile from it, but it's hard to see this ending well without regulation.
1: So um, John, one last question and it's more of a game. So, uh, this game, if you've never played it, it's called, uh, Would You Rather? And how we're going to play it is I'm going to give you two scenarios and you have to say which one you would rather do. So would you rather stay in Ireland where you're currently located, but you have to give up all your data, any data that's ever been in your life, any data that like ever accumulates, you know, there's no data prenup here. It's all given to Ireland. They have full access anytime they want. Or you move to China. Um, and you're in mainland China, you have all your data. You don't have to give it to anyone, but there are five people spread throughout and you don't know who they are. They may be amazing at this or terrible that are just trying to steal your data, but you haven't given it up. So you might be able to protect yourself. What do you choose?
2: I move to China. That's an easy one. <laughs> yeah,
1: there we oh, go. No,
2: I mean, if you give up all your information to like, it's... Um, no, that 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 your your life could be made hell if you even all your information. Uh, to depending on, like if you if you have a government asking for that, for starters, that's a bad thing. And a government asking for that, you wouldn't want to trust them with your. All your right. So I hope you speak while,
1: Mandarin or some form.
2: of <laughs> <other>. <laughs> I'd have to learn, you know. Yeah, through, yeah. Through the transit, it, would,
1: the it would be a really good learning experience. I should have said mandatory. You can never leave the country. Oh, yeah,
2: I mean, but I mean, neither of those is a uh, favorite <laughs> outcome. If I had to pick one, it, which is the less, which is the less evil? Um, but it,
1: but it shows how important data really is. That you would leave your home to go to a country where you don't speak the language um and you know people are constantly trying to steal your data so you're not secure five of them in this fake situation um and yeah you still choose the the risky you know try to protect your own data then then give it up where you're from and uh and that's that's the reality of it so anyone listening protect your data
2: absolutely what wise words
1: well john thank you so much for this
0: amazing conversation we really enjoyed it and uh yeah we hope you did too
2: i absolutely did it's always great talking to to yourself laura and uh, gabby very nice to meet you
0: so laura we just talked to john Gent, ceo and co-founder of privacy engine what are your tech
1: takeaways I like how you said that today, Gabby. Take away. Try to change it up. Yeah, nice. yeah. That was good. Cheerful. And that's exactly how I feel John was. He's cheerful. He's knowledgeable. He's, I like he, that he's, he's direct and to the point. Here are the problems. Here are the solutions, but also just sort of a realist about it without scaring us too intensely. Even when he scared us, it was like a friendly scare. I wasn't, you know, terrified. Like some of the other guests up there. The friendly ghost of data protection. I don't know about that, but we'll, (laughs) (laughs) it was like, John, if you're listening, I, I don't, Think that you resemble the ghost that Gabby feels. I don't know, um, not resemble, but just
0: uh, embodies anyway, I'm gonna move on from that comment. But no, I agree. I really liked how, you know, he broke down sort of how companies in data protection can deal with like the changing legislations that's happening and also the difference between the EU and the US markets. I think that's just really interesting and how intricate it is because there's just so many different things going on. But as we all know, data is moving
1: more and more um, global. So, yeah, I think it's also really a a twist of what Privacy Engine is doing. And so it was interesting to have, you know, as the CEO and, and founder of it to, to have his perspective, because it is something that when you go to a company and you say, hey, I want to work here, they don't really say, OK, you know, they, they have you fill out your paperwork, but they don't say, all right, fill out this whole thing so we can put it in in case, you know, at the end there's a DSAR request or something kicks in with GDPR. Most companies are asking for, you know, where's your routing number? What's your social? What are some, you know, what's your address some basic information? And I and I appreciate what Privacy Engine is doing to to really line up protection for employees right at the HR level up front. I think it's cool
0: yeah um and so laura you know where can people find us if they want to steal our data aka just find out
1: more about us the podcast. <laughs> if you want to steal any of our data, you should reach out directly at uh, contact at thattechpod.com and let us know why. Because, you know, we don't really have anything that exciting to steal at this time, but we know it's valuable, so let's negotiate. Check us out on our website, www.thattechpod.com Go to LinkedIn slash thattechpod or find us on Twitter at thattechpod.
0: Also, if you just want like a really Easy, super non committal way to help us out. Uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening to this podcast and just give us a five star rating. And you could write us a little review if you want. You can tell us how amazing we are or how, you know, maybe some nice uh, but criticism things to say to help us better in
1: our podcasting abilities. We would certainly appreciate it. We would love it. And don't forget to go to our website again, thattechpod.com. Scroll to the bottom of any page and subscribe to us so you don't miss any of our exciting new stuff coming out. See you next time. See you next time.